What are some of your favorite New Year's Eve traditions? For yourself personally or your family or something you did that was like a great way to celebrate New Year's Eve? Okay, good. Wait a second. Not good. I meant not good. Yeah. End of the year trivia. End of the year trivia. All right, for a trivia buff, that would be a good thing. For me, that would be a bad thing, but excellent. It's a fun way to do it. What else? Good tradition for New Year's Eve. Do we have any traditions? What do you do on New Year's Eve? Serve Chinese food. Yeah, Serve Chinese food, that's true. Brendan's been serving, was working for a long time at that Chinese restaurant, right? What's it called again? Maui. Maui, right. And uh, now still goes back, I think, once a year, the annual pilgrimage to serve and to work with them on New Year's Eve. 25 years this year. 25 years going strong. <laughs> we should celebrate that. <laughs> we should celebrate that, yes, yes. All right, let's switch the date. How about Christmas Eve? What are some good Christmas Eve traditions that you like to observe? Put up lights on the roof with a ladder. Okay. Lights <laughs> You mean make Nancy put up lights on the roof with a ladder? Are you? Who? I don't Make me? When you were a kid. When you were a kid. Did Gloria put lights up on the roof? I don't remember I that. Had to put them up. You had to put them up. Out the window. Yeah. Up. Yeah. Oh. What else? Christmas Eve, the night before Christmas. Big family dinner. Big family dinner, food, family, yeah. Open the same present every year, pajamas. <laughs> pajamas, surprise, yes. <laughs> what else? Go to church. Go to church, yeah. Christmas Eve services can be really special, for sure. There is, in both of those dates, they're the easy examples to think of, it's the night before the thing happens. And there's a sense of expectation, but you celebrate, you do things on that night in like anticipation of what's coming next. New Year's Eve is almost more special than New Year's. And then it happened, and once it happened, it's like, all right, day one of the next calendar year, and you move right on. But right before something happens, there's this wonderful sense of anticipation. And sometimes it comes with traditions, like what do you do with that energy? Maybe you want to get together with friends and family. Maybe you want to make a big meal. Maybe you want to decorate, right? Those things happen on the eve of the event, and the event happens, and it has its moment. But then as soon as it's passed, there's no more anticipation. That feeling of like wonderful excitement anticipation is something that happens the night before. And I was thinking about these events. I was thinking about certain times in God's church, in his people, where it was like the night before the big event. We have moments like this too. Maybe you're, you're preparing a presentation for school or something, and it's like the day before you're going to give this presentation at work or something. So you have this anxiety. You don't know how it's going to turn out, but you're prepared as well as you can be, or you're cramming because you didn't prepare and it's due tomorrow, and you're going to be ready one way or the other. But there's that sense of like, what do I do before the big moment? And I thought, you know, when God gets ready to do something big, He doesn't have a night before experience because he's been anticipating it since the beginning of time, since before time was invented. So for him, it's just the moment. But for us, we sometimes recognize that we're in this eve 
moment, right before something big is about to happen. And I was thinking specifically about God and miracles this week because I was looking forward to serve home this coming week. I wanted to preach a sermon today that would prepare our hearts and our minds for what would come in the week ahead. So how do you prepare for that week? And I just thought, you know, I think there's going to be a week of miracles. And I'm praying that it's a week of miracles. Miracles in construction, where the right pieces and the right tools come together exactly the right way. And you step back, like, wow. Miracles of relationships that wouldn't have happened if two people weren't together raking or tilling or setting a fence post together. Miracles of people encountering God's love that never would have. A president of, of a, a school, or rather, should I say, what should I say? Um, principal of a school, um, a neighbor of a homeowner. Um, I think there'll be miracles of safety where someone could almost have been really hurt and then wasn't. Because it feels like there was an angel right there protecting in that situation. And this is what we've seen in past years serving together. So it's what I'm anticipating seeing again because God's God and we see him pulling this week together with his fingerprints on it. So it's like anticipation and it's good. So it made me think, well, what do we do on Miracles Eve? If tomorrow we're going to start to see some miracles, how do we prepare ourselves for that? How have God's people historically prepared themselves for something they're anticipating God's going to do? So based on our advice here, we could either hang lights, get drunk, play trivia, or any number of other things. But I kind of feel like there might be better ways on this Sunday night to prepare ourselves. So when we wake up on Monday, it's not just Monday. It's like Miracle Monday. And then we wake up on Tuesday, it's not just Tuesday, it's like Miracle Tuesday. Like, what's God going to do? Because I think if we keep our eyes open, and if we're praying, and if we're asking, and if we're looking then we're going to see all the ways that God is going to work this weekend. We won't miss it. So I don't think he's going to miss it. He's been planning for this for a long time. I don't want us to miss it. I want us to experience the miracles of God. And so I thought the best way to do that is to first try to define the word miracle and then look at two situations in the Bible where God's people had an evening before and just pull those principles right from there. And I encourage us to be the kind of people that don't let our lives just happen to us but who anticipate and who ask God to step in. Uh, what did Jesus say? You have not because you ask not. Well, let's ask for miracles. So at the end of all the scripture, I want us to pray. I want us to pray forward into the coming week. So you can be thinking about how you might want to pray, what prayers might be perfect for the week ahead. And I want to kick off this week with scripture and prayer and anticipation. I want to be excited about Serve Home. I want you to as well, but not because we're going to work hard or we're going to raise money or we're going to be amazing, but because it's God's week and he's calling us into it. Jesus says, follow me. So we're following him into this week. Where Jesus goes, miracles happen. So I'm just ready for it. I want us to be ready for it as well. So the first point to make on miracles is that the word miracle does not appear in the Bible in the original languages. That is our collective word that we have used to describe three different words that the Bible actually uses itself. They're all defined as miracle in English. Um, but the word miracle comes from a Latin word. So it was miraculum, I believe. Yeah, which just means an object of wonder. So as the Bible was being translated into English, this word miracle fit for these three words. They are signs, wonders, and power. So if you're trying to think biblically as you're reading the word miracle and you see it in English, be a translator. Jesus didn't speak English. The Hebrew people didn't speak English. So it, it behooves us to like dig a little deeper sometimes in language. When you see miracle, there's either a sign, a sign from God, right? That's a miracle. 
or it's a wonder, a, a miraculous event from God, or it's power. And power is the Greek word dunamis, where we get dynamite from. And whenever you see dunamis in the Greek, it's this miracle, this power of God. I thought that was interesting because miracle to me, when I think of it in the English term, is like a narrower thing. I want to see a miracle. It's like, okay, someone came back from the dead or a broken bone was healed or like a certain, but what about signs? I don't know if I'd call a sign necessarily a miracle. It feels different to me. Or a wonder, uh, maybe a miracle, maybe, but it is. Miracle is too narrow a word and we need to stretch it. The signs that God gives us, the wonders that he does, the power that he shows. That's the true definition of miracle. Uh, Webster has a definition. Webster defines miracle as an extraordinary event manifesting divine intervention in human affairs. So anything extraordinary, we feel like God is uh, intervening. There's a philosopher, David Hume, who, a worldly philosopher who had a skeptical sort of definition. I was intrigued by it. I'll, I'll read it for you here. David Hume defined a miracle as a violation of the laws of nature or a transgression of a law of nature by particular volition of the deity. So a god, in his mind, a god, the god, he doesn't care. He's just philosophizing. Um, violates nature for the cause of intervening in some way. Uh, there's an old Bill Gaither song I learned when I was about this high that says, Mama know this too, I anticipate a supernatural, did I write this one down as well? I anticipate the, the inevitable supernatural intervention of God. That's like a classic VBS song from my youth in Sunday school. I think we had it on a record in my house. Yeah, we still do. We still have the record. Excellent. Okay. They'll come back and they'll play it for our kids when records are the new thing. Um, so yeah, do we anticipate the inevitable supernatural intervention of God? So if these are some ways we can think of miracle and we were trying to put together a definition right here, how would you define it? Give me some thoughts based on these. How, how do you think you would describe a miracle if someone asked you, doesn't believe in them, or something happens, you want to say, that was a miracle. How could we define it together? Any thoughts? What's a miracle to you? Something that's tough to explain on your own. Something that's tough to explain on your own. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep. Great. When I couldn't read and I accepted Christ, and about a week later, I could read completely. Yeah. Yeah. Intervention. Something beyond the natural. Right. What's a miracle? Let's define it. I think it's God confirming his power. God confirming his power. Right. There's communication happening in a miracle, right? Like someone's saying something to someone. It's not arbitrary. It's not haphazard. Yeah, it's communication. It's something that can't be orchestrated by humans. Something that can't be orchestrated by humans. Yeah. There's no way we could have put that together or made that work, but right. What do you think? Bob, what do you think? How would you define a miracle? I feel like you've seen some. How do you describe it? Circumstances that, um, that change and mm. it's just, uh, 
That's great. That's a great way to say it. Great way to say it. There is a, um, a Bible dictionary that defined miracle. And this will be the last thing that I'll say about this before we read our two passages. But I thought it was just fascinating talking about the miracles with Jesus. His point is that Jesus is not simply a wonder worker or a miracle man. Miracles have a larger purpose than that, and sometimes even a different purpose than that. Listen to what he has to say. This is the Holman Bible Dictionary. The miracles in the Gospel of Mark center on conflict, first with Jesus' opponents and then with his own disciples. While the miracles are harbingers of God's kingdom, their purpose is to challenge people with God's awesome power. Like you see something, you got to respond to it. What are you going to do with that? It's, it's a challenge. I just saw something I can't explain. How do I reconcile what I just saw? Their purpose is to challenge people with God's awesome power. They do not show Jesus as a simple wonder worker. In fact, miracles lead only to amazement or disbelief in those who don't believe. How many people actually saw the miracle and still didn't believe afterwards? A miracle doesn't necessarily make a believer. There's got to be something in them that says, I recognize what's going on. Otherwise, you just become a harder skeptic. <laughs> or you, you poke holes in it and say, well, this was probably this, this was probably this. Remember all the people doing that to Jesus? They always wonder, how could they ever deny that he was the son of God? All the stuff he did, but everything he did, they just discounted. So they didn't have the belief to see it. So miracles don't necessarily lead to belief. They led to disbelief in some people. He continues, Jesus can only be understood in the light of his death on the cross. The miracles are not proofs, but powers. They're not just there to prove. It's there to show. They're not just proofs, they're powers. God does not authenticate himself through them, but shows himself to those with eyes to see. Even as the apostles and other Christians have continued to perform miracles, they always point to God and glorify Him. It's, it's, an, it's an expression of a God that has power beyond what you can explain, and then you have to do something with that. So a miracle actually isn't like the end stop on the train. It's like a point in the train where there's a fork, and you can take one direction after that miracle or the other. You can say, oh... And your eyes are open in some way. That was astonishing. Maybe there is something to that faith that I've heard of. Or there is something to that God. And you branch off in this direction, seeking, maybe with some openness, or at least questioning. There's a different branch that can be taken, too, with discounting things and justifying and rationalizing things and ignoring things. If anything has been proven over this whole pandemic, on all sides of every different debate that's been raised, is that people often don't use a lot of logic when they're coming to their conclusions, right? They just come to a decision, they stick to it. And this could be vaccine-related, this could be politics, this could be anything. It, it, there are many people on each side of every debate that are not basing their decisions on logic or reason. There's something that was convincing, and then they're in that camp. They took the train. <laughs> they took the detour, and they're just on that track now. And it's very hard sometimes to backtrack and turn around and get onto a different line of thinking. And so it is that way with God sometimes, too. He can be unavoidably, beautifully, powerfully evident. And it might not mean anything for someone. We want it to mean something for us, and we want to know what to do with it. So here on this Miracle's Eve, we start with Exodus chapter 12. 
This is the institution of the Passover. This is the evening before all of the Israelites are about to leave Egypt. And there have been many miracles, many signs and wonders, right? If you think about the plagues, would you call a plague of frogs a miracle? It's hard. That's like a weird way. That's what I mean. Our English word does something to it, but in the Bible, it's called a sign and a wonder. So it could get translated easily as a miracle, but I don't, in my experience, I don't often think of it. The 10 plagues aren't like miracles. They certainly are signs, but there is no word miracle. There are only signs and wonders in the power of God. And as it breaks into our world, we try to explain it, understand it, appreciate it, write it down, describe somehow what what is happening. And uh, in Exodus 12, we have the story of the Israelites on Miracles Eve. They're about to see another great wonder happen. And how did they anticipate that? How did they prepare themselves? Is this what we should be doing today? Should we be treating this day leading into the first day of serving at Serve Home the way they treated the Passover? the way they prepared themselves to leave Egypt. I don't know. Let's, let's read it together and see. In the last verse of chapter 11, leading into 12, you see this kind of summary statement. It says, Moses and Aaron did all these wonders before Pharaoh, but the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not let the people of Israel go out of his land. So there, it did all these miracles, all these wonders. Some point to the Lord hardening Pharaoh's heart and say, well, does that mean that God like, made him do the bad things to the Israelites? If you read through scripture, you see that Pharaoh's journey begins with like, some sense of openness, and then he hardens his heart. He defies God. God gives him 10 opportunities to soften and turn, and he like, relents for a second and then hardens his heart. And so at some point, God says, I am going to show my glory fully. Like you've had your chances. I am now going to bring this to full completion, all these tragedies, so that you will see that my power is immense and that God is greater than Pharaoh, which Pharaoh was believed to be a god at the time. So it really was a battle of gods that was happening here, the god of the Jews versus the god, the living god, Pharaoh of Egypt. And um, Yahweh wins, as he always does. So the wonders had happened, 10 wonders, and they were Wonders. Now the Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, this is Exodus 12, 1. This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. And tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for the household, and sacrifice it, uh, down in verse 6, shall kill their lambs at twilight. Before we go any further, do you recognize that the miracle of God becomes day one? I love that. That's like let there be light is day one. The beginning of God's signs and wonders start a new season. They start things. For many of us here, even previous years of Serve Home have been a beginning of something new, a beginning of new ministry. For Michaela, when she was serving as, you know, children's director here and a beginning of us in other things, I think of um, Ashley and Maddie and ministries that you got involved with after serving in Serve Home at college or retreats or different things. Like, it was a beginning because when God does a miracle, it's like something you have to reckon with and it changes us. And so God's preparing them on Miracles Eve to say, when this happens, that's day one. Day one of the next season of your life. And that's a beautiful way to look at it. It's not like the miracle happens, like pop in a little bit and then you just go on. No, it's going to be different. 
It's like a wedding day. It's like a death day. It's like a, a birth day. It's this significant intervention by God where your life shouldn't be different afterwards. Because if it just goes back to being the same, what was the point of God intervening in the first place? Like, no, day one. I love that. And that's to be noticed before we keep going. Also recognize that there's a sacrifice involved. This Passover is a sacrifice of protection for the angel of death that's about to pass over. It's a sacrifice for atonement. I think this is a beautiful thing for us to keep in mind on Miracles Eves, whenever they happen. I hope this is, Lord willing, a Miracles Eve in our life, and I hope there's many Miracles Eve. But when we know those moments are coming, I think the day before is a good day to confess our sins, pray for forgiveness and holiness, and ask God to do the holy thing that only He can do. I think repentance should be an ongoing part of our lives. We know that Jesus has forgiven us of our sins, but we still know that we're so imperfect. <laughs> we're being perfected, but we're not there yet. And so if we're anticipating going into this holy moment, a burning bush kind of moment, let's get ready. And we're not worthy. Let's, let's bow down and say, God, we're not worthy, but you're worthy. I would like us to think about it being day one. I'd like to think about it being a holy experience not just a common one. Let's continue. Verse 7, this is how you put the blood on the doorposts. Um, verse 8, um, you eat that evening, you cook the food on the moment and let none of it remain in verse 10. Uh, and in 11, there's actually a physical attitude, a bodily posture that the Lord instructs the Israelites. In this manner, you shall eat that last meal on Miracles Eve. You shall eat it with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. That's an interesting way to anticipate a miracle. Like, I'm ready. I'm ready, God. Something's going to happen. And if you say, we go right this second, I'm in a, a, an attitude of readiness this is like the armor of God, feet fitted with the readiness for the gospel of peace. Like, we're just ready. So were they literally holding a staff and eating with the other hand? I believe so. I believe they literally had their traveling clothes on, their shoes on. They were not relaxing because at any moment that night, whenever this event happened that God said was going to happen, because they didn't know until it happens, they're just waiting, anticipating God's promise to come true. At any moment, God may say go, and they have to be ready to run. So they're eating quickly. What if I don't have time to finish this bite of mutton stew before I get out the door and all my livestock and all my kids and my neighbors and we help each other and, and the old women and men that can't walk as fast and we're helping them and the young ones that have to be carried like that, right? What an interesting way. What if we were to treat this day like that? Like I'm getting ready. I better be ready. I have to be like, I have to be rested for tomorrow. I have to be like, get my stuff laid out. I want to be like, what am I going to need tomorrow when, when, when the day hits and I'm ready to go? I, there's tools, yes, but like, what am I going to do for prayer time in the morning? Is my Bible laid out? And like, you know, what would it look like to prepare physically for Miracles Eve? This is what it looked like in this instance. And I think there's parallels. I think we can draw parallels for ourselves here on the eve of Serve Home. Again, you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night and strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And on all the gods, feel free to put finger quotes in the air. That's what God means here. And all the gods, so-called gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. 
when I see the blood, which symbolizes your repentance, your purity, your sacrifice, your obedience, because you did it, you're being set apart. Like it symbolizes all these things, never mind the foreshadowing to Jesus as the Lamb of God. Just there's so much in that when God sees the blood on the doorposts of our house. I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Now this day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. Miracles are meant to be remembered and passed on. We do a poor job of oral tradition in our day and age because we rely so much on written tradition and on written histories. But talk to your grandparents and get the stories of the biggest moments in their lives. Remember the biggest moments in your lives and tell them to your children because God wants to get like repeated credit for the big stuff. And the next generation wouldn't have been there for the big stuff so they wouldn't have known what Miracle Eve looked like for you. Tell them how afraid you were the night before that it wasn't going to work out. And then tell them how amazing it was the day after when God did step in. And tell them how that like tracked your thoughts and your relationship with God, how it became more personal because it felt like the God of the universe communicated and changed events and circumstances for your behalf. Why would he need to do that? Miracles are meant to be remembered. So they become a beginning of a new season for us, but they're also meant to be commemorated. Please, Keep telling God stories. Do not stop for your entire life. And I think probably in heaven, we'll still be retelling these stories. We'll be praising God for all that he's done. I think that's part of what heaven is for. That's part of our crowns, our rewards. I'm thinking that that might be where we, we stop. Obviously, the whole chapter uh, it continues on at verse 29. It says, At midnight, the Lord did strike down the firstborn in the land of Egypt. Pharaoh eventually summons the Jewish people and says, Take your flocks and herds and be gone. And he has the gall to say, And bless me also. Nobody, I think you're experiencing the curses at this point. You had so much opportunity to experience the blessing. That time passed. Then there's the Exodus. Um, in verse 34 of 12, we want to skip ahead. Just this preparedness is what I want us to focus on, not specifically the whole Passover account. So verse 34, it says, um, no, 233. The Egyptians around them, they lived in Goshen, which is, was like the subset, the neighborhood, the region where the Jewish people lived within Egypt. And if you look back through the plagues, it often says that none of these things happened in the land of Goshen. Do you know that that was my particular prayer for our church family during COVID? That God would allow us to be in the land of Goshen? That as the plague passed around our country, it could hit everybody else but us. And if it hit us, it wouldn't kill us off. As I looked at this and I said, God, can it get a plague? It can bounce over houses. It can bounce over regions. It does what he allows and what he permits. And so I was praying that specifically for our church. Still should keep praying because it's still out there. It's still people are getting sick. But um, I say it just to say sometimes scripture like hits us home where we are now. And then it becomes the, the instruction for how to pray. And so that was my prayer. God could do what he want. He was very gracious to our church family and to our extended families. And I'm super grateful to him for that. But I was specifically praying for Goshen, for us. So 33, the Egyptians were urging with the people to send them out of the land in haste. Like, get out of here and fast. Our people are dying. They said, we shall all be dead. So the people, the nation of God, took their dough before it was even leavened. They're kneading bowls, being bound up in their cloaks on their shoulders. So like they're mixing utensils and their bowls, they're just carrying them on their bodies, walking out. 
And the people of Israel had also done as Moses had told them, for they had asked the Egyptians for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. And the Lord had given the people, God's people, favor in the sight of the Egyptians, so they let them have what they asked. And thus they plundered the Egyptians. In my mind, this was a superstitious response by the Egyptian people. The Egyptian gods and gods surrounding the nation of Israel were always making sacrifice to appease the gods when they're mad. There's a drought right now. If we were back in that day, we'd be making sacrifices of our animals, perhaps in certain cultures of our children. We'd be doing whatever it could to appease the god that's angry, which is why there's no rain. So they were very familiar with, here's a plague, make a sacrifice. And so in this case, it was so clear that the god of Israel was punishing Egypt that they gave all this money, all this resource to kind of appease the gods. So I don't think it's a, a faith statement, and it certainly wasn't like a happy statement. We're so glad that all this is befalling us because of you and your people. They're telling them, get out of our country. But like, here's a tribute. Please, maybe with your God, it'll be okay. So even through pagan ritual, God used it to establish what would become the nation of God. And the superstitions of people who don't believe, God used as financing and resource for the people who did believe, because they would have left as slaves. They were slaves. But they actually left with wealth, much wealth and planted a nation. This is all God's sovereignty. That's a miracle. Why would the person who your plague is killing give you all their golden jewelry and say, be on your way? Miracle, a wonder, a sign, power. All right, um, and then they travel and the Lord went on with them. Um, We'll, we'll stop there. We'll stop there and let it, let it speak for itself. So what can we take from this? We can take that we should be looking for signs and wonders from God. We can take, look that, we can take from this that um, on the eve of miracles, let's not be so callous as to be like, all right, God, I'm ready. Bring it on. The miracle eve should be a humbling sort of thing. Like, God, would you even despite me? Like, let's say we want to see a miracle tomorrow. Let's look over our back week, back week, last week, past week, and say, do we deserve a miracle tomorrow? Each of us individually. With the things that we said, the things that we did, the things we didn't say, the things we didn't do, do we deserve to have God show up tomorrow and do amazing, miraculous things for us? No. No. That's the gospel. That's grace. And it's beautiful. But God wants to show up tomorrow. And what it requires from us is today to be like, Despite us, God, will you show up tomorrow? Will you bring miracles for your glory? Forgive us of our sins so that we might not get in the way of the good thing you want to do. I think there needs to be repentance in a season anticipating miracles just to honor the holiness of God. It needs to become Memorial Day. It needs to begin a new season in our lives. And it needs to be based all upon God. You recognize this all happened because God said so. We don't tell God when Serve Home starts. God tells us when Serve Home starts. We don't tell God what Miracle Day is and what Miracle's Eve is. He tells us. And we just try to stay aware enough and sensitive enough that we feel it. And when God's people together, like, I feel this. Something's happening here. Then we can follow him in obedience with what he's trying to do. So all of that is wrapped up and much, much more. But there's a snapshot, uh, an Old Testament look at a Miracle's Eve. Now we're going to turn to a New Testament one. We go to the book of Acts, chapter 1. It's another Miracle's Eve, just as we are on today. And this time, we're with 
the followers of Christ. So we could call this the church. We could call this the new covenant. We could call this God's people, but now it includes the Gentiles in with the Jewish. Right? We're in a new season. There's been a new miracle. There's been a resurrection of the Messiah, and that day has become day one. Easter is like day one, right, of the beginning of our faith. Because if Easter didn't happen, then everything that Jesus said didn't carry any weight, then we don't follow him. So Easter is the, you know, Easter Eve is Miracles Eve. Easter morning is day one of this next part of our life. And then every year after, we commemorate Easter as a memorial to remember God's power, his signs, his wonders, his miracles. So this is post that post-Easter, the beginning of the next season of God unveiling his plan, this progressive revelation. And uh, you find God's people again, Jesus' followers, waiting. You see them all together. You see them listening to what he said was going to happen but not knowing. And can we just stop for a second and recognize that if there's going to be a miracle, doubt and uncertainty have to be prerequisites for that? Because until it happens, you don't know if it's actually going to happen. So if it's a real miracle, changing circumstances in a way that can't be accounted for, and if there's a crisis or a problem that's coming to resolve, you can't know, other than by faith, that it's actually going to happen until it happens. So Miracles Eve are, are like filled with doubt and faith. They're filled with uncertainty and hopeful optimism in the power. You know, but like, feel that a little bit. What will God do? We have no idea. Exactly. That's a Miracles Eve statement. What did God do? Oh, it was awesome. That's the memorial, right? But in this upper room, they don't know yet what's going to happen in verse 6. They're not at verse 6 yet. They're living out verse 1. And the Jews didn't know verse 24 when they're in verse 11. Like, they just haven't gotten there yet. Be patient in your lives, in the places where God has told you something is going to happen, but it hasn't happened yet. Just make peace with the fact that he knows and we don't. Trust him with your doubts and uncertainties and recognize that's a part of Miracle's Eve. If that's not there, you actually don't need him to show up very much. There's got to be this like angst if we need something to the extent of a miracle. So be okay with that. That's God in control. Recognize that's part of this story. And so here we have these people gathering and they're in that state of uncertainty. All right. In the first part of chapter 1, uh, Jesus meets with them, talks with them, and then ascends back up into heaven. And in verse 12, we'll pick up what did they do after that? Because the Holy Spirit still had not come. All the miracles that are about to happen in the Testament and the church had not yet happened. They just saw Jesus, and now Jesus is gone. And he said, wait for me, wait for my power. So they do. They, they actually listen and they wait. And this is what, it ha- this is what happens. Uh, so Acts chapter 1, verse 12. All these followers returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a, a Sabbath day journey away, a short journey. When they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. Now there was Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon the Zealot and Judas the son of James. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary the mother of Jesus and his brothers. And in those days, Peter stood up among the church. He preaches here to the church among the brothers. There was about 120 there and said, Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, 
and he talks about Judas's betrayal. And then in the bottom of uh, my bottom of my page, uh, verse twenty, it says, "May let another one take his office." And so, Peter continues, one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John till the day when he was taken up, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. So they submitted to, they put forward to, Joseph, called Barsabbas, who is also called Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, You, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show us which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. So they cast lots. They drew straws. They let the Lord decide between the two, and the lot fell on Matthias. And he was numbered with the eleven apostles. Now, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues, as if of fire, appeared to them and rested on each one of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men and women from every nation under heaven, and at this sound the multitude gathered, they came together, and they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? You know, uneducated fishermen, basically? How is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? And lists all the languages. Um, all were amazed and perplexed. Oh, verse 11. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others, mocking, said, they are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them and said, God declares he will pour out his spirit in the last days. Verse 22, you have um, crucified Jesus, but he has arose and arisen again. He just goes on. At the very end of that, 3,000 people are saved and baptized. So where's the miracle in this? Every sign, every wonder, every power is the miracle. But some of the people saw the miracles and mocked. Ah, they're just drunk. The miracle isn't always a convincing agent. For those who have eyes to see, it's just like overwhelming evidence to God's power. But for those who don't, it's like this thing that can't be accepted. It's like, because if I accept that, then I got to accept a whole other range of thoughts that I'm not ready to accept. And since I believe this and this and this, then that couldn't be that. So what must it be then if it's not actually the power of God? And, and that's this like circular reasoning. I'm going to Explain away what I see because of these other things that I preconceive. What do we see in this fellowship moment, in this miracle's eve? First, they were being obedient. Jesus said, wait, and they waited. God said, wait, to the Egyptians, uh, the Israelites in Egypt, and they waited. Like, there's this attitude of preparedness and waiting, and they were all together. The Jewish people were all together and ready. The, the apostles and all the people are with them, 120 people are all together and waiting and ready. Like, are we together and are we ready? This isn't the like lone ranger, every man for himself, individual kind of faith thing we're talking about. It's like God wants to do something momentous for his people. So let's huddle. Let's huddle. Maybe our kickoff tonight will be kind of like the first huddle of this miracle week. Signs and wonders of any sort, the power of God in any way that he chooses to show up. So they were ready. You know, how will we stick together? Because if God's going to do a miracle for his group of people, but some of us are kind of off on our own, guess who's going to miss the miracle? 
right? Those of us that didn't stick together to see it through. Like when God does something with a group, it's that group that gets the beauty of experiencing that power in that moment, that manifestation. So I think the togetherness that you see where they prayed together, the Old Testament we have prayer, New Testament we have prayer, same God, same people, same approach on miracles, either waiting for the next thing to happen, and it involves togetherness, it involves prayer. So how can we pray together? Well, as soon as I'm done kind of talking through this, we're going to just take time, we're going to pray. I think we're just like the apostles in the upper room. We're just together. We're going to pray for God to do something. And he said he would, so we're just waiting. We don't know exactly what it's going to look like. And neither did they. Neither did they. So it's just openness and anticipation. You know, Maranatha, Jesus, Lord, come. What else can we see uh, from this? Uh, They were seeking God's will. They were actively working and maintaining God's ministry while they were waiting. They weren't just on the couch with their hands folded. Judas had betrayed Jesus. They wanted to have this assembly of 12. Now they only had 11. So they're like, God, how? They're, they're working together. They're, they're proceeding in faith. They're acting even while they're anticipating this miracle that's about to happen. Like, how will we do that? How will we seek God's will? How will we continue to act, not just waiting, I hope God shows up and, you know, some big miracle will happen. Well, in the meantime, how can we continue with what we know so far? How can we be ready for when the moment arrives? So clearly here in this, we have the Holy Spirit filling them all. And this is part of that new season of faith in God's church. In the Old Testament, it describes Moses as being the one filled with the Holy Spirit. And then all the people followed Moses. The beautiful thing about Jesus is just like everybody can have the Holy Spirit. Everybody can talk directly to God. Everybody can have God's power move in their lives because everybody receives the Holy Spirit. So this was that moment. This is a dividing up of the single pillar of fire, (laughs) the Holy Spirit, into tongues of fire individually so that each of them might speak the words of God, do the miracles of God, show the love of God. It's, It's a miraculous new season. It's day one. Pentecost is day one for the working of the Holy Spirit in the next season. It doesn't negate the last chapter. It builds on it. God's always building. I think heaven is the ultimate fulfillment. Everything builds up to then, and from there, it's like glory expansive. But it's just building. God always builds. He reveals to us. We're like kids. We learn a little bit, then we learn a little bit more. God opens our eyes a little bit. We grow towards Him, and and that's what's happening here. How will we let the Holy Spirit use us this week? Will we be waiting just for the leader? Michaela, you are going to be entrusted to be Holy Spirit's voice this week, so make sure you listen real good and tell us all what to do. Or maybe every single one of us, on a moment's notice, talking with a person, doing a project, saying a prayer, feels God put in them the thought that needs to be said right then, and you become the mouthpiece of God. No texting to Michaela needed. Just in the garden, on your knees, tilling soil, and the right words, the right prayer, the right song to sing. The whatever comes from you because you're connected to God. This is a day one of those moments, but it's really very similar to day one for the Israelites in the Passover and the Exodus. Um, It's a connection, a following of God's spirit. So this all leads us to what happens after them and then after the miracle day. And, um, And then we'll go to a time of prayer But what would have happened if God took the Israelites out of Egypt and then they didn't follow his cloud of smoke by day and his pillar of fire by night? Would they have ever gotten where he was trying to get them? 
that they believed enough because of the signs and wonders that they were willing to follow him after that. A sign and a wonder is not the destination. It's like a highlight along the way. It's a road sign. It's an illumination. It's an intervention. But we're meant to follow God after that. Otherwise, we'll just have experienced a really cool moment and it doesn't ultimately get us anywhere better than where we were. Like they could have gotten 10 feet out of Egypt and then stopped. It doesn't help where they need to get us the promised land. We could experience the intervention, the inevitable supernatural intervention of God and then go back to life as usual the next day. But isn't God trying to like steer us onto the next track? Is he trying to change our lives by a miracle? Is he trying to communicate to us that he's got something different? Because if he wanted things to stay the same, wouldn't he have just like skipped the miracle because it was fine? The miracle means a change of direction is needed. An increase in our faith is needed. Our little faith has got to get bigger. Our sinful things have to be put to the side. We need to pursue holiness. Our trying it our own way has to be just discarded to try it God's way. Our hands over our ears has to be exchanged for like intense listening. God, what are you saying? That's what he's wanting the miracle for. It's to jumpstart us into this next leg of a journey, a progression, better, further, closer, dearer, more powerful. And so that's what you see with Egypt. It required this like initiation of day one into a following mentality. And that's what I want from every single one of us. I want you to follow God. I don't want you to follow me. I don't want you to follow New Hope. I don't want you to follow the center. I don't want you to follow your favorite author. I don't want you to follow your favorite preacher. I don't want you to follow your favorite blog. None of that. None of that. I want you to follow God. And he will speak to you and he will step in and change your circumstances when he thinks it's necessary so that you will keep and even more just want to follow him because he's got good plans. Egypt's not good. It might be comfortable, but it's slavery. Ah, freedom. Right? This being with Jesus was good, but it wasn't the fullness. Experiencing Christ inside them so that they could go and live as Christ, that's better. It's, it's, it's further. It's more. It's greater. And some people think that miracles are something just for Bible times. But when Jesus says, those who come after me will do even greater and more things than I do. When the Gospel of Mark says, by these signs and wonders, you will know my people. They'll handle snakes and they'll speak in different tongues and the dead will be raised. Like those are post-Jesus statements. Jesus is saying, him who comes after me. Mark is saying, those who go forward. So like we're in the church season. We're, we're in that. And so I fully anticipate that God can step in with his power to do signs and wonders and powerful things at any moment, any time. The Bible hasn't said it stopped. In fact, it says it'll continue. And so that's where we are. We're on Miracles Eve. And I want us to have a sense of anticipation. I want to pray for it. Right now, I want to pray for miracles. I want to pray that we're ready for it. I want to pray that we don't botch up God's miracles. That he does some wonderful thing and we just make a mess of it because we're just being too people-ish. We're more Jesus-ish. So that when the miracle arrives, that we're there to represent Christ well. And that'll come by our own prayers for confession now, our own prayers for miracles now, our own asking God to do whatever the heck he wants this coming week. He will. It's our job to be ready, to have a staff in one hand, to be buckled up, to be eaten quick, to be prayed up. And then, what? What next? We don't know. <laughs> could be everything. Could be nothing. Could be something. Could be the smallest thing this week. Do 3,000 people have to get saved this week for it to be a miracle of God? No. He just has to show up and show us that he's there doing something. And then we know we're in the right spot. Because we were at the place that he wanted us to be so he could do whatever he wants to. Maybe it'll be just one of us. Maybe it won't even be anybody outside. Maybe someone in this room right now that this coming week, you'll just have a moment with God. 
where he shows up for you and changes your heart, your mind, your attitudes. Would that be enough? Would serve home, a whole week of planning and preparation be enough in God's economy of value for one of us to draw nearer to him? By far. He gave his son to die for every one of us. So he certainly could put on a week of outreach for one of us to have a breakthrough with him. So I don't know what it'll be, but it's going to be because God's put us in this place. So here on Miracles Eve, I just want to open us up to pray together and then we'll have a celebration of communion together. Um, we'll sing a song to close and then come back this evening. We can set up some more details, learn a little bit more. Really, we're praying for like 9 a.m. tomorrow that the floodgates open and God just starts signs and wonders that we couldn't have even anticipated. So without any further ado, from scripture to prayer, Let's pray. Anybody pray as you feel led. Pray out loud. Pray quietly. Um, lead us in the Lord's Prayer. And pray whatever you'd like, however you'd like. But let's prepare ourselves spiritually for the week of miracles up ahead.